Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores the feminine genius. Guys, it is so, so good to be back behind the recording microphone. The last time I recorded an episode and released it, she, I was 38 weeks pregnant and now she's almost three months old. So baby Maeve Benedicta made her appearance on May 8th. Oh my gosh, everyone says they grow up so quick. Enjoy them while you while they're little. And none of them were lying. She is... She's grown like crazy in the past three months, and it's been so beautiful to watch her grow. Birth was incredible. Uh, I think there are two there are two kinds of people: the people who thrive when they hear birth stories, and the people who are like, you know what? No, I'm okay. I'm good. And I'm definitely one of the people who thrive hearing birth stories. Um, and I have probably spent a little bit too much time researching different blogs and just reading people's birth stories. So I'm toying with the idea of doing a podcast episode about um, a letter to the woman who's giving birth for the first time. And if you're interested in that, let me know, head over to my Instagram, Chloe.Langer today. Um, and you can vote in the stories, but if you're hearing this after today, shoot me an email, Chloe.Langer at gmail.com and let me know what you think. Anyway, we all know how saints follow us. I have had many a saint friend who has followed me and tracked me down and sat me down and told me their story. And now I consider them a dear friend, but more than a saint has been following me these past three months, I've actually been followed by a novena, which sounds weird, but let me explain. I first heard about this novena in an Instagram post from someone, and it's called the Surrender Novena. And me, who is type A, controlling, melancholic, was very much skeptical about this novena. And I thought, okay, this sounds neat. Um, I'm going to put this file this away for future use, but I'm not going to touch it because I I think it, it sounds too much like when I pray for patience and the Lord says, here's some opportunities for patience for you. You'll really enjoy them. And it turns out that I really need that and I need to be humbled and I need to ask for patience. Same thing with the litany of humility. That one's That is a dangerous prayer that I pray at max once a month because if I pray it more than that, my life just, oof, it just takes a beating. And then the next Sunday at mass, the deacon who is preaching the homily says, friends, today we're going to be praying a prayer from the surrender novena, and I want you to pray it with me now. And it was like Jesus was smacking me across the head with a two by four and saying, listen, I know you need this, you stubborn, stubborn child. This is what we're going to do. And the line from the surrender novena is, you repeat this at the end of the prayer for the day and you say, Oh Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. And in my heart, as I'm praying this, my intonation sounds more like, um, Oh Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. Very skeptically. Um, but all that is to say, I have been, my heart has slowly been worked over by the Lord and I'm, I'm praying this prayer. And so it was just an honor to sit down and record this podcast about surrender. And so I sat down with Meg Hunter Kilmer, who is an absolute gem of a woman. If you do not know her, I'm so excited to introduce you to her. She is a saint in the making. She's so sincere and intentional and authentic. And I had asked her to come on the podcast and she had said that she would let me know when she was in the Kansas City area. You'll find out more about her life in the podcast. And I'm so glad we skipped the Skype session and just sat down at my kitchen table over a cup of coffee and chatted about surrender, which is something that I really needed to hear about. So without further ado, I will stop talking and I will let Meg talk. And I hope you enjoy this episode about surrendering your life over to the Lord. So we're welcoming to the podcast, Meg Hunter-Kilmer. 
a friend that I was able to meet first, I think, when um, at KCCSC. And so I first got to know you there and then have just been following you through social media and have been looking forward to having you on the podcast and you're sitting across the table and it's so beautiful. So welcome, Maeve. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here and to be hanging out with Maeve. Mostly you. Mostly Maeve. Mostly Maeve. (laughs) So she's our studio audience today. So if you hear some baby peeps, that's where they're from. So we're going to talk today about surrender and trusting in God's will, which is something that my type A controlling personality does not want to talk about, which Mm. probably probably means it's something that I need to talk about. (laughs) But before we talk about that, Meg, can you share your story as a Catholic woman and as a Catholic hobo? Yeah. So I grew up in um, a Catholic-ish family. You know, my, I mean, I shouldn't say ish. I was baptized as a baby, but my dad was Catholic. My mom was Protestant. So like, there's always sort of some complexity there. And it was the 80s which just like wasn't really a great time for anybody to be raising Catholic. I mean, some people seems to have made it happen, um, but I think it was just tr- sort of tricky. There weren't really resources. Nobody really knew what was going on in the church. I was an atheist by the time I was 11. I had a major conversion when I was 13 uh, because, you know, I don't do anything halfway. So if I'm going to be not that in church, I'm going to be an atheist. And if I'm going to be in a church, I will win it. Um and I went to Notre Dame, got two degrees in theology, and then I taught middle school and high school religion for three years in Georgia, then for two years here in Kansas. Okay. And then about seven years ago, I felt like I was calling me to follow him in a more literal way. So I quit my job, packed everything I owned into the trunk of my car, and started driving. And for the last seven years, I've been homeless and unemployed. I call myself a hobo missionary. And I drive around the country and fly around the world, give talks and retreats. So I've been to 50 states and 25 countries in the last seven years. Holy smokes. I've been to 14 countries and 23 states in 2019. Wow. Yeah. Knocking it out of the yes, park. Yes, I'm tired. I Holy I'm smokes. Oh. But I'm doing okay. That's, that's taking real good care of me. So. Good. How many miles have you put on the car in the past seven years? 225,000. Holy cow. That's a lifetime mm-hmm. mileage. That's and beautiful. And that's like... I mean, that's even considering that I'm abroad for like three yeah, months a year. Yeah. So that's nine months a year. <laughs> I'm still putting on 30 plus thousand miles. That's awesome. Yeah. A lot of car for time then. Yeah, yeah. A lot of worthless audiobooks. Yep. Though, yep. Which yep. I'm all about. <laughs> I love Mindless it. fiction. Yep. Hey, that's what car rides are for. Yep. So when you felt the call from God to, to follow him and surrender your plans for your life, was it? He dragged you kicking and screaming? Was it like total absolute trust? You know, it's it's so contrary to my natural inclination. And I think that this is sort of a tricky thing in discernment is figuring out in what area of your life is God really affirming mm. what is natural in you and trying to purify that and build that up. Yep. And in what area in your life God is saying, I get that that's a part of who you are, but we really need to work against that. You know, like I'm naturally a really angry person. And so generally speaking, that's something that the Lord just wants to like heal and purify and remove. Right. But sometimes actually that's a really beautiful thing. Like everything that's going on in the church, I'm mad and that's the right reaction. You know, it's just a question of directing it towards prayer and action and not just towards bitterness. Yeah. So I'm natural. I'm very type A very much a planner, yep. very achievement oriented, very focused on impressing people. So, you know, being homeless and unemployed wasn't really on my radar. You know, like yep. this isn't a thing that I was like, oh, maybe when I grow up, I'll, I'll be a hobo missionary. I had been teaching for five years and I loved teaching, like creepy loved teaching. Um, but I had just felt all of the graces of the classroom withdrawn, you know, mm. I, 
really angry person by nature. I've been angry two times in the classroom in four and a half years, which is a miracle. Yeah, yeah. But I taught for five years. And that last semester, just like irrational reactions to everything, mm. angry all the time. And I was like, all right, like I always knew that this was a grace and the grace is clearly gone. So what does that mean? Yeah. And I prayed about leaving. I felt a lot of peace. And then I prayed about leaving the classroom and really had thought I was going to teach, you know, until I had a million babies uh, (laughs) or died and um, just felt a lot of peace about leaving the classroom. And I was like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've got a master's degree in theology. That's not a lucrative degree. It's true. (laughs) Right. That and a winning personality will get you a second interview at McDonald's. This is not there aren't a lot of options Mm -hmm. other than the classroom or parish work. Right. And a priest friend of mine was like, well, you're good at public speaking and wanted to do more of that. And it just, it just made sense in prayer. It made sense to quit my job with no plan for gainful employment and no place to live. Mm. And because that's so ridiculous, I was like, well, that's gotta be God. And so (laughs) I wouldn't, I wouldn't say immediate complete surrender. And I wouldn't say kicking and screaming like, it just made so much sense mm-hmm. and I knew that it shouldn't. And that to me is a really good, uh, a good indication that yeah. God is at work, yeah. right? except in matters of the heart, because your heart is stupid. And <sighs> in matters true. of the heart, I always have to go listen to your mother and your roommate. Right? <laughs> Don't trust your heart. <laughs> right. People are like, I'm not normally into felons. Like, oh, no, he's not. Go the other way. <laughs> Unless it's, you know, if it's cool felony nuclear chain culture nuclear warriors. Um, <laughs> one exception. Right, exactly. But yeah, I it helps that I thought it was just gonna be for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Seven years later. <laughs> I am apparently spot on on the what of discernment. Not so great on the how long, but mm-hmm. you know, that's fine. Because okay. I really if God had been like, I just want you to be homeless indefinitely, I would be like, I clearly have a brain tumor. This, cannot, <laughs> this is too crazy. This cannot be real. Um, but it's worked out in seven years. I've never once had to get a hotel room. That's incredible. It's ridiculous. That's so beautiful. Can you speak a little bit more into like how he showed up and been generous with you? Like where has he surprised you with generosity? Man, just all the time. And it's always in ruining my plans, you know, like every once in a while, it's a cool thing. Like, like a random stranger emails me and is like, Hey, you know, could you do us a huge favor and come to Hawaii in January? And I'm like, Yes, I can. <laughs> it was great because I got that email. I've been praying and I was like, Jesus, like, you're welcome. <laughs> because I am killing it. Like, I am really, I'm doing so much for you. I am so generous. And I get this email and Jesus is like, you are, you are so generous. You're generous. Oh, I'm generous. I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks. Actually, you're a bigger deal than So, I mean, there's some stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like invitations to go abroad, um, encounters with really amazing people. But you know, you kind of get used to good things happening in that mm-hmm. respect. It's when when God steps in and ruins my plans and, you know, there's a blizzard that changes everything or, you know, I have to get new tires and I don't have time to go where I'm supposed to go or, like, my car breaks down, this mm-hmm. kind of thing. That's when you're like, all right, like, you can't fix this. And I've said that to God yeah. any number of times. You can't fix this. And every time he's like, baby girl, watch and it's, it always ends up being something so much better mm-hmm. than what I could have imagined yeah. and what I had planned myself. And so I wish I could say now, every time something goes wrong, I get excited because God's going to work. I get angry and annoyed mm-hmm. that he keeps screwing with my plans, but I also know <laughs> that he's going to do something cool. Yeah, you know? yeah, and so yeah. it's kind of like, all right, what you got? Like, 
I was really excited about donuts. And he was like, I was planning creme brulee. And I was like, oh, but still donuts are also delicious. Then why are you like this? <laughs> okay, so you've also you've done this in America, you've done this abroad. I think in America we have this highly individual, be productive, prove that you're worthy, prove that you're worth looking at and paying attention to. Have you seen differences culturally? Like when you go abroad and talk about being a missionary versus when you're in the United States and talking about surrendering everything? Like, is there different levels of acceptance? Have you seen that? That's interesting. So a lot of the work that I'm doing abroad is with American expats, okay. except in the UK and Ireland and Malta. Okay. Um, so those are the English speaking countries where I've spent time abroad. And so I've done a good amount of work in the UK um, and then spent a couple of weeks in Malta and Ireland. Um, I kind of, I feel like it's, the experience of Christianity over there is so different that it's hard to say, oh yeah, this is a different approach to this understanding of surrender. You know, in the UK, most of these people don't know really anybody who has a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In Ireland, people are so internal about their faith that they don't really want a lot of them painting with broad strokes have a hard time listening to what I have to say because they're just there. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of years of, if you talk about your faith, the British will kill you. Right. Right. You know? And so there's this real cultural self-preservation such that people don't want to let strangers into their hearts in that way. Malta was kind of, Malta was fascinating because yeah. it's Italian and English and also Arabic. Fascinating. And uh, yeah. And so there's just a lot of cultural influences there. Um, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't, that's something that I need to pray about. I also feel like America is not homogenous. Mm-hmm. And so different areas of the country, you get very different responses that to Christianity sense. in general and to my life in particular. You know, like in the Pacific Northwest, people are like, man, that's <laughs> awesome. Like my cousin did Peace Corps. I'm like, that's not the same thing yeah. at all. But thanks for trying to connect. Um, New England, they tend to be much more wounded by the church yep. uh, and have a much stronger um, sense of knowing what it is to be Catholic, whether or not they're necessarily practicing the faith. And so you get sort of a more guarded and walls come mm-hmm. up when you say that you're a Catholic missionary. Mm-hmm. And so it's not so much like, Oh my gosh, I mean, why would you do that? Why would you give up your life? That kind of thing. It's more like, okay, what are you about to demand from me? Yeah. Like, Ooh, okay. I mean yeah. like your entire life, and that you be a saint and that you give up everything that matters to you so that you can follow Jesus. But like right now in this moment, I just kind of wanted to have a pleasant exchange. Right. So hey, how are you? Cool. <laughs> uh, you've written about this so beautifully on your blog. I'd love for you to talk about um, how you've found this meaning of surrender, but in the Eucharist and how that has spoken to your heart in this journey. Yeah. You hate the word journey. Sorry. I, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, it, I used to hate the word journey because it just feels so much like The Bachelor. Um, yes. And I, I, I watched like one season 10 years ago. and that's, <laughs> But my life really is like literally, very literally a journey. And so I've kind of come to terms with it. So we're good. Um, you know, I think the most significant thing for me in terms of the way that I have been called to live for this time and the Eucharist is that it's the only place that's home for me. Mm, I you love know? that. Yeah. I, I mean, my, my parents lived or moved since I um, moved out and I, I don't have any place really with roots. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up in the same house for 
like 15 years or something, but I don't have family in that area and haven't lived there since I was 17. Yeah. And that's direct town. Um, and so, you know, I go all around, I go all of these places and even with really close friends, there's always a sense that this is not my space, mm. you know, that like I, these people love me and I belong here, but this is not my space. And there isn't like the freedom and the comfort that okay. you can get in just being in your own space. But every tabernacle, every sanctuary lamp, mm. I walk in and I'm like, okay, here I am home. This is one reason that it's so painful to me when I get kicked out of churches, yes. which I do all the time. And, you know, like I'm not doing anything wrong. They're just closing. But I I mean, I cry almost every time and I feel so bad for these people because it's usually not their fault. There's nothing they can do about it. Right. It's just like the custodian or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, no, but you don't understand. It's like, I don't have any place to go. Right. And like, maybe, I mean, yeah, I have some place like literally physically right. to go right now, but like. Like, this is it. This yeah. is what, this is the only place that my heart is at rest. This mm. is the only place that I'm able to, like, really just be still. And that that blessing and recognizing in a glass dimly reflection mm. mm-hmm. of the surrender of Jesus in the Eucharist, where he offers himself to us and he says, look, no holding back, no holds barred. Like, here I am and I'm yours. Yeah. You want to you come and commit sacrilege you want to receive communion in a state of mortal sin Mm -hmm. you want to just not pay attention like i'm not i don't love it but but i'm here anyway and so having having that as the real home of my heart in a situation where the lord has asked me just to be surrendered to other people's needs other people's schedules Mm -hmm. other people's emotions yeah yeah. um, has been a really beautiful thing it breaks my heart every time when I look at your Instagram stories or on Facebook and it's like, oh, they locked me out. Like there's the code, the different code than last year or like this door is locked and mm-hmm. how much that's just like Jesus is there. He's waiting. And mm-hmm. here we are as humans like, nope, sorry. Like actually come back next time. Yeah. yeah. That just breaks my heart. And I've had some beautiful moments. I had a really, a really striking moment um, last summer. I had just been to a wedding and I'm 35 and single. So mm-hmm. wedding sometimes gives me feelings. Mm-hmm. And I was in a county that I know really well, and I know that there's not a church in the county that's unlocked. Um, it the, probably, I probably would have had to drive like an hour and 15 minutes Shoot. to get into a church. But you know what? It's like 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday. So I'm, I'm okay with yeah, it. Yeah. Like, I love a perpetual adoration chapel, mm-hmm. but it's not like three o'clock on a Thursday when church should be unlocked. Right. If your church is locked at 11 o'clock on Saturday, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but I, I drove to this church that I know and I just sat on the front step and I just leaned my head back against the door, which was really beautiful because, you know, Fulton Sheen used to pray like that. And St. John Francis Regis, who's one of my dear friends, used to pray like that. When they couldn't get into a church, they would just sit on the front step. And it, it was just such a beautiful moment of like reaching out to Jesus and him being like, yeah, like I'm as close as I can get to you right now, my love. And then so I had Jesus behind me and then the moon in front of me. And the moon has always been a symbol of Mary. Yeah, yeah. Because she reflects the love of Jesus, the, the light of the sun. And so just to have Jesus behind me and the blessed mother in front of me. And just, I just felt so surrounded mm-hmm. by love. And it was really beautiful because I think if I had been able to get into that church, it just sort of would have been like, okay, I'm going into church and this is great. You yeah. know, maybe I would have had a powerful experience, but there was something really, really beautiful about just the, um, the image that the Lord was giving me that even when I felt far from him, I was surrounded by love. 
there's so many lies that surround this concept of surrender. And I think one of the biggest ones that I've fought through is that if I surrender everything to God, if I give him everything and I hold nothing back, I will be miserable. He will ask me to do things that I do not want to do and mm. I will hate it. Can you, how does, how, how do you work through that lie? How do That's you- interesting. That was not the way I was expecting that sentence. <laughs> I was expecting a prosperity gospel because I oh, get that gosh. from people all the time. Really? They're like, you know, I know that if I just give my life over to Jesus and like everything will fall into place. And I'm like, I mean, or not. Right. Exactly. It's like. Like, Jesus was pretty surrendered to the Father and he got crucified. Uh-huh. So, and like, read the lives of the saints, like, these people suffered. Yep. But I think so much of it comes back. And every time I talk about discernment, I start off and I'm like, here's the problem. We don't believe that God loves us. Yep. This and is so true. We think that he is a sadistic leprechaun mm-hmm. sending us on this scavenger hunt. And there are these signs, and he's like hiding around the corner, cackling. And when we don't see the signs, he's like, ha ha ha. You'll never get any lucky charms. I mean, it's just. No, it's true, though. It's this warped version of yep. God as taskmaster. Yes. And, and our lives as some kind of trial to see if we get it right. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's not who God is. You know, I mean, like Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? And I think once you come to believe that God loves you so desperately, in these moments of surrender, you're like, okay, yeah, you know what? Like, I may never get what I want, but man, I am loved in that longing. And I am held. And there are things that I pray for that I know the Lord is withholding from me, even though I feel so certainly that I need them. And I know that he weeps as he, as he says no to my prayer, because he knows that's best. He knows that's what I need. He knows that's what's going to bring me into his wounded heart, but it also just hurts him. You know I mean? I think about when with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, right. And that, and Jesus, when they ask him, come, the one you love is now like just the, that they had such confidence in him yep. to describe Lazarus as the one you love. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he doesn't go and it says, because he loved them, right? Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so he stayed where he was. And, you know, I'm sure that the disciples were like, oh my gosh, either like, this guy clearly doesn't love them or, okay, finally we're making prudent choices. Like, don't go back to Jerusalem. They're right. trying to kill you. There. But <laughs> then eventually know. when he goes back, you know, Mary and Martha, they're trying to trust him. Mm-hmm. They know that he loves them. They're trying to trust him. And Jesus who had led them into that place of suffering weeps. Yeah. Yeah. And then he raises the dead, yeah. you know? And I, I don't know if, if Mary was like, Hey, like you could have saved us from this pain, Mm -hmm. but I, I just, I spend so much time praying with Mary and Martha, not so much with Lazarus. I wonder what Lazarus felt about being allowed to die, but with Mary and Martha and trying to read their words, because they both say, you know, I know if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yeah. And it's hard not to read condemnation Mm -hmm. um, and rebuke really Mm -hmm. in that. But they both say the same thing. And I think that's a striking thing. Maybe they meant it differently. Maybe one of them was rebuking him and one of them was really trying to trust. But you know they were having that conversation. They were saying, Jesus loves us and he loves Lazarus and he could have stopped this and he didn't. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're the kind of person who describes anyone as the one you love to Jesus, 
there has to be a point where you're like, okay, you know what? He's got to be moving. Mm -hmm. He's got to be working. And maybe it is through pain. And maybe that's going to be short-lived suffering like Mary and Martha. And maybe that's something where you're just never going to hear that prayer answered. But I, I always just, I just imagine the joy of the angels Mm -hmm. when somebody who prayed the same prayer for decades and never received the answer they wanted when that person stays faithful and goes to their judgment. I just imagine the angels shaking in wonder Mm -hmm. before a soul that was faithful in the face of years and years and years of unanswered prayers. There's so much beauty in that. Mm-hmm. I love how he tells St. Thomas, like you've seen and you've believed, like how blessed are those who ha- they don't see and mm-hmm. they still believe. Mm-hmm. And that's so beautiful. I love this image of Jesus crying with us. Mm-hmm. Like it just goes in the face of God as a taskmaster. Mm-hmm. Like here he is and he's crying with you and he's mm-hmm. crying for you. That's so beautiful. Um, one thing that you talk about that I have loved. Oh, hi, mate. Do you want to come up here? You talk about this desire of marriage and motherhood and you talk about spiritual motherhood and there's, there's not many people out there talking about spiritual motherhood and your witness to this desire for, for littles and how you love your kids, your spiritual kids is such, oh, it's beautiful. And can you talk about how, like that aspect of like giving up the things that you've desired and how Jesus has, like, he knows those desires. Yeah. You know, it's been, it's been interesting because this is something that I've been sharing about on social media a lot more Mm -hmm. in the last couple of years. And I hate it. Like I hate sharing about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Partially just because it's vulnerability and nobody likes that. Partially just because it feels kind of pathetic, Mm -hmm. you know, when you stand here and you're like, Oh, I just wish somebody loved me. You know, you just feel like a sad Hallmark heroine only without the like really neat resolution in in around an hour and 25 minutes. Right. Um, but a lot because you just get this response of pity and platitudes mm. so much. And I'm like, no, like, this is not what we're doing. Like, this is not how Catholics respond to suffering. Yes. Like, if I open my suffering heart to you and I invite you into that, like, your job is to sit there and to suffer with me. Yes. Your job is not to be like, oh, my gosh, but, like, there's somebody out there. Like, you don't know that. Right. God did right. not promise me that. Uh-huh. You know, or to say, like, oh, I felt the exact same thing when I was 19 and single. But then I met my husband. And you're like okay, like, I, I understand that there's different kinds of suffering, but don't, don't come in and be like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what you mean. Just come in and be like, thank you for sharing your heart, you know? Yep. And, and yep. I'm not like most of the stuff that I'm talking about, I'm not specifically referencing what it is that I'm longing for. And so it makes me a little bit crazy when people always assume that I'm talking about marriage. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, like also I'm homeless. Maybe consider yeah. that. So yes. Like, also, I have dear friends who suffer in horrific ways. Like mm-hmm. maybe consider that. Mm-hmm. Um, just to like sort of reduce me to this one, this one desire. Um, but I, I mean, I do talk about the desire for marriage and the desire for children um, and sort of this attempt to like, I have always been a mother. Um, I was just talking to someone yesterday about being the fun aunt. And I was like, I am the fun aunt, but I'm a mom. Yes. So like we use manners and we behave appropriately yes. and we do hard things because like, I'm, I'm not just this woman who like swoops in and like pumps you full of candy. Like I'm a mom. <laughs> yes. Um, and that's something that's always been a really powerful part of my spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, a really powerful part of my, just my experience of love. 
uh, and, and trying to let the Lord um, not satisfy my heart in that, because I don't think that's really how that works, mm-hmm. um, but show me the fruitfulness of my spiritual motherhood. Show me the fruitfulness of my life. And I think I am uniquely blessed because my life is very visibly fruitful. Yes. And so when when things are hard, I mean, like, and on top of, like, everything spiritual or emotional, like, yeah. you got to be a woman, right? So then yep. you got to have hormones. Right. And, uh, like, everything just has to always be more complicated. It's true. Woman. It's so true. Um, and so every time that I'm sort of in a phase where it's particularly hard, I'm like, okay, but, like, would I trade what the Lord has allowed me to do for his kingdom and for souls, you know? And, like, sometimes maybe the answer is yes. Uh, yep. <laughs> but... I'm really blessed. I just, I feel so deeply for women who just don't have a work that's as visibly fruitful. And yeah. I don't think that means it's less fruitful. Right. It's just so much harder to see. Like for me, I'm like, okay, like I know this conversation would ever have happened. I know I never would have given this talk. I never would have written this particular post. Yep. Like I can see the way that the Lord is working in this cross. And I think for a lot of people, you're living a much more ordinary life mm-hmm. and your suffering does have value, maybe just mystically for the body of Christ yeah. and maybe very directly for the people that you know and love, mm-hmm. but it's so much harder to see. Yeah. Um, and I think to trust that the Lord is working that the Lord is bringing good, the Lord is causing fruit to grow through your suffering when you have no visible evidence of that, man, that takes a lot of trust. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And there's so much, there's hope in that. There's so much hope in being in told, like, I know it doesn't look like this is worth anything and this is just suffering for suffering's sake, but that's not true. But at the same time, gosh, dang it. When you're in the trenches and you're having to trust on like a minute by minute basis. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah. It is so hard. Yeah. Um, you talk about how you love the saints and how, I mean, if there's anybody who can come along and just sit alongside you in the trenches, it's the saints. Holy smokes. And they find you, they hunt you down and sit with you in the trenches who have been some of your favorite saints who journeyed alongside you with the surrender, especially, you know, St. Leopold Manic has been really big for me recently. Mm. Um, and it's funny. So I'm a big fan of like super obscure saints. Yes. So I'm sure I can, I can think of some mainstream saints, um, who've been helpful, but like, that's just not how I roll. Um, Leopold Mandic is somebody who I had sort of like, I knew his name. I knew he was short. Uh, <laughs> I was pretty sure he was a Franciscan because I could picture him in Britain, but I was in Padua mm-hmm. this past January. And so I was like, oh, we're going to go see St. Anthony. And I was like, well, who else happens to be in Padua? Yeah, yeah. So I'm like doing some Googling. And I'm I'm kind of a wizard when it comes to finding saints' remains. And so I was like, oh, St. Leopold, baby. That guy's short. I wonder what else. And I mean, it's really remarkable. He's four foot five. Like, oh, my gosh. Really, he is short. Really he is short, short. short. It's remarkable how all of the pictures of him yeah. show how short he is, That's- even when he's standing by himself. You're like, how did you just make that guy look so short? And there, there's this great image of him with the Blessed Mother, and he's standing in front of her, and he, like, comes up to her sternum. I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, but he was a Croatian man. Okay. And his heart really was just so called to work for the reunification of the church between East and West because okay. he grew up in a – 
in a land where there were a lot of Orthodox and just a division in the church really broke his heart. And he was like, this is the call that God has given me. So he became a Capuchin Franciscan, uh-huh. um, like St. Padre Pio. And he entered the Franciscans with this plan to work for the reunification of the church. And he got sent to Italy mm. where there aren't even Protestants, right. like let alone Orthodox. Right. right? And and he was like, okay, well, I'm going to be faithful to this. And he was asked to hear confessions. And for years, he basically just sat in the confessional and his superiors knew what his desire was. And it was just never satisfied. And he, he was like, okay, well, you know what? This hearing confessions is a small act of reunification, yes. right? It is. Yes. I am doing in, in microcosm right. what I want to do on the world stage. Yeah. But, you know, like, I trust that I am reconciling those who are separated from the body of Christ. Uh, and he did this for years. And finally, his superiors were like, okay, we are going to send you back east. We're going to send you to Eastern Europe and you're mm. going to get to do this work. And he's so excited. And the people of Padua found out and they rioted. Oh my God. This is not the Middle Ages. This is like 1930s. Holy smokes. They flipped out. They were like, you are not taking him away. We love him. I mean, he would hear confessions for 12 hours a day. Oh my gosh. And then he would spend three to four hours a night in adoration, praying for the reconciliation of East and West and praying in reparation for the sins of his penitents. Oh my gosh. I mean, he's just, he's so beautiful. But, you know, so the people flip out and his superiors call him in and they're like, we're really sorry. You have to stay. Oh my gosh. And he said, all right. And he moved back into his cell and he just, he heard confessions until he died. And wow. he never once experienced the satisfaction of the deep desire of his heart. Wow. And he did not become bitter mm-hmm. and he didn't turn his back on God mm-hmm. and he didn't complain and he didn't demand. He just said, all right, Lord, like, this is what I really want, but actually I want you. <sighs> like, this is my longing and my ache and my hunger that drives me every day. But really, I just want you. Wow. What? And yeah, and getting to know him, I was just like, okay, all right, here we go. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, with so many desires, you know, not just with marriage and motherhood, but with so many desires where you're like, okay, Lord, I really feel this is a good desire. This is an authentic desire. I really feel like this comes from you. And if you say no for the rest of my life, I'm yours. I choose you. That's so beautiful. Yeah. That just, oh, the act of choosing God more than choosing the desires that even the desires he's placed on your heart. Mm -hmm. That's so radical. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about this. This Mm -hmm. isn't something that you learn in Sunday school or you talk about Mm -hmm. with Catholic friends. Like this is something that we should be talking about. Because people will say all the time, you know, God wants to satisfy the desires of your heart. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, first of all, that is not true. Like that is not biblical. There is one verse that says, you know, if, if you worship me, I will give you all these things. And it's the devil. Right. Exactly. Like that is a quotation of Satan, right? There, <laughs> yes. there is, um, in the Psalms, it says, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like the first half of the sentence is the important, part. right? If, if the Lord is the desire of your heart, he will give himself to you. Right. That's what he's not going to hold that back. Right. Yes. And I do think that if we deeply desire something authentic and it's like really, it's a virtuous desire. I think that we can generally take that as being planted on our hearts mm-hmm. from God and we can pursue that. Yep. But it just because God has given us a desire does not mean that he intends to satisfy it. Yep. And that's a really hard thing. And that's something that's really very deeply Catholic that our non-Catholic 
Christian brothers and sisters don't necessarily understand because they don't have the depth of that theology of suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, There are times, like, I really think the last couple of years, a lot of the longing and the suffering that I have been experiencing, it's been sort of heightened in the last couple of years. And I think it's because God wants me to speak about it. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily because he wants to satisfy it. Right. I think he has been asking me to hurt more and to suffer harder because there are people who need to know that they're not alone in this. There are people who need to know how we can respond to suffering with grace, how we can run after the Lord when he seems to be just dangling something Mm -hmm. right out of reach. And and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the Lord giving me a desire at the very core of my being that he knows he is never going to satisfy for the sake of the salvation of souls. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I think, you know, we don't always see it as directly, but I think sometimes God gives us this desire because he wants us to keep running to him with broken hearts. Yeah. And this is what's going to, this is what's going to bring us to him. I think sometimes he gives us this desire because he's trying to put us in a place where he can bring about what he actually wants. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes he gives us the desire just so that we're able to suffer alongside other people. You know, I know um, with you losing your first baby, that, yeah. that was such a horrific pain. Uh, but I think that you now have a ministry to women who are suffering with infant loss and infertility yeah. that that you might never have had otherwise. And you have an ability to love people and to speak to them in that. And does that, does that mean that you would choose that again or that you desire that or that you're like, Oh my gosh, like I'm glad I'm never going to Julian. Right. Yep. Is your baby's name? Marianne. Yeah. Marianne. Yeah. Sorry. No, that, um, my friend Kayla's baby is Julian. Um, that you're, you're never going to see Marianne this side of heaven. Like, does that, does that make that okay? No, but it makes it good. Yes. Yes. There is glory mm-hmm. in those wounds. And I, I mean, I just always think about Jesus rising with wounds to show us that our wounds can be glorified, that giving our hearts over to him doesn't mean he takes away our wounds and removes all our scars. Right. And, you know, I hear people say this. I once gave a talk um, about how the Lord can redeem all of our past suffering. And at one point I started crying in the mm-hmm. middle of it. And this woman afterwards was like, no, like when you really know Jesus, like you're just not even sad about those things that happened before. And, you know, I have just found total freedom that I can like tell you about all this horrific abuse and I don't even feel bad. And I was like, that is great that that has happened to you. Right. And some personalities, maybe that's how your suffering works. And some people, maybe that's what the freedom looks like. And some people continue to grieve for their entire lives. And that's the way that the Lord is drawing them close. It's okay to look at your life and say, this is awful and I wish it hadn't happened, but Jesus, I trust in you. Yes, yes. And there's, oh my gosh, that's such, that's so freeing to be like, I don't have to, like, yes, he's calling you to healing, but there's still wounds and there's, he's still going to glorify them. And you don't have to be woundless to be a witness. Venerable Cornelia Connolly is such a beautiful witness of this. She, she just suffered in like such horrific ways. Mm. I mean, the short version, um, she converted, she and her husband, her husband was a Protestant and Episcopalian priest. They converted to Catholicism. She lost an infant. Her two-year-old fell into a vat of boiling maple syrup and she held him while he died. 47 hours. Then her husband decided that he was going to become a Catholic priest, which at the time meant they had to separate. So he basically left her right. with three little kids. But in order for her to be a faithful wife, she then had to take a vow of consecration. So then she also basically lost her kids. Right. And 
then she like, so she takes vows and she starts this religious order. And then he decides, no, actually I want to be your husband again. And she's like, no, but we made vows. Right. So then he like sues her for conjugal rights in England oh in the 19th century. So gosh. her name is all dragged through the mud. There right. are all these allegations about her and the Cardinal who's helping her start this religious order. Mm. He kidnaps her children, poisons them against her. Are you kidding me? Oh, so gosh. right. That's right. just heart wrenching. She's reconciled with one. One died young, so she had three children who died young, uh-huh. um, and one died hating her in the church. She was reconciled with one, and towards the end of her life, one of the um, one of the novices in her community mm-hmm. was like, "Mother, you've suffered so much. Why are you always smiling?" And she didn't say because Jesus is good and everything's right. fine, and I don't mind. She said, "My darling, the tears are always running down the back of my throat." Right, this sense of I am still suffering, mm-hmm. but God is good, and I have work to do. Right, right, and there right. is a joy in following the Lord, but it hasn't. It has transformed my suffering, but it hasn't removed it. Yep, and it's okay to say this was an ugly and miserable thing. Yes, it's okay. Yes, and so I think Venerable Cornelia Connolly is a really good friend when you've got ugly things in your past, and you're like, I don't know that I can say that that's okay. And maybe one day you'll get to a place where you say, you know, this is beautiful and God was working in this. And maybe you don't. To be able to say, I'm still going to follow the Lord. I'm still going to trust in him. I'm still going to rejoice in him. And the tears are going to keep running down the back of my throat. Yeah. There is grace in that. Yeah. And so much we want to have this story that has this pretty little bow at the top mm-hmm. and to have the hallmark resolution where everyone just rides off into the sunset and it's all resolved and there's not. That's not always the case. Right. There's not and always sometimes the it is. Yep. Sometimes it is. Yeah. Praise God for those moments, but praise God too for when it's not. Exactly. Yes. And I think this is something that Israel does all throughout the Old Testament. They just keep talking about the Exodus. They yep. keep talking about how God saved them from Pharaoh and his chariots and charioteers. And at a certain point, you're like, we get it. Like, we, right. I saw the movie. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but it's because they just suffer so horrifically. Mm-hmm. And they have to rehearse in their minds the things that God has done in the past. Yes. So that they can trust that God is at work in the present, even when they can't see it. Right. You know, it's this, Mm -hmm. I always tell people, you got to stop asking, why Mm -hmm. is God letting this happen? You have to ask, who is God? And this is one reason that I love the stories of the saints, because you can look at the lives of the saints and say, I see what God has done in the past. Mm -hmm. And you can look at the stories of scripture and say, I see what God has done in the past. I think we need to be able to look at our own lives. Yes. I had a priest once call them Tabor moments. You know, these moments of glory Mm -hmm. in your life that make it possible for you to persevere through Calvary. And that's, that's what Jesus is doing. He takes them up Mount Tabor so that they can see his transfigured face and be strengthened to persevere as they watch his disfigured face on Calvary. That's what Pope John Paul said. Mm. And I mean, honestly, I think it's really fruitful to sit down and make a list of Tabor moments in your life of retreat experiences, of moments of clarity of joyful moments like your wedding and the birth of your child, but also just moments in prayer where you were like, yeah, you know what? That is real. So that when you're in the depths, you can be like Israel and say, I don't know what God is doing, but I know who he is. I know that he was there. I know that he is for me and I will trust that he is weeping alongside me right now. I will trust that he is here even when I can't feel him. Because it's so tempting in those moments to think God has never showed up. He has never yes. been present. He's never done anything for Man, me. That's the devil's favorite. Isn't it? 
isn't it? Yeah. It's so true. And that's the one that catches me every time. Like, why do I, why am I so confident in God's faithfulness when he's faithful? But the moment that I'm struggling to trust his faithfulness, mm-hmm. forget, I forget mm-hmm. everything that he's been faithful in. Yeah. And to literally have a piece of paper that ruins your pity party. Yes. Because I love yes. pity parties <laughs> in prayer. I yep. love it. Same. And I have, I, I mean, there's one, one friend in particular uh-huh. where I go to my pity party and I'm like, Jesus, nobody loves me and nobody wants me. And like, and he's like, Catherine. And I'm like, shut up about Catherine already. <laughs> nobody loves me. And he's like, she would die. Yeah. Like if, if you died, she would literally go for the ball and die. And I'm like, nobody. Li-. And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> no, you know? And so to have those things from, from your day to day life, yes. you know, areas where you know, you're inclined to just wallow. Yep. And to have those moments where you're, where God says, no, like, this is a good thing. This is a beautiful thing. This is something that you have to offer the world, mm-hmm. especially, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with mental illness, like see a counselor, yes, yes, get on medication. If that's what you need, mm-hmm. like we don't treat diabetes with prayer, right. we don't treat cancer with prayer. We can also pray. Mm-hmm. We treat these things with medication. Like Counseling is beautiful. Medication is so important. Like yep. if you have an illness, we treat the illness. But I think also, in addition to that, to have this, this experience of prayer where you say, okay, I'm going to have a list of the things that I have to offer the world. I'm going to have a list of the people who God has put in my life who really do need me. I'm going to have a list of the moments that the Lord has been faithful and shown up. And that for, for everybody, but particularly, you know, maybe you're just more melancholic. Maybe it's not something diagnosable, but yep. you're just sort of like an Eeyore. Yep. Um, I am extraordinarily melancholic and also extraordinary choleric. And this probably lends to why I'm so tired uh-huh, yep. all of the time because yep. I'm emotionally exhausted as well. <clears throat> but to have something tangible where when you feel like it's just not worth it, my life just isn't worth it. Like nothing's ever going to be good. You sit down with that list and you're like, this is, this is what God is doing. Yeah. This is who God is, and I can trust that He's that He's at work. I love it. One of the questions that I ask the women who come on this podcast um, is how they live out the feminine genius in their own unique way. So, make how do you live out the feminine genius uniquely as as a woman striving for surrender, but as a Catholic hobo, as a hobo missionary who's just giving her life over to the Lord and his and his kids? I think a lot of it is that spiritual motherhood, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because. You know, I felt it very profoundly with my students when I was a teacher mm-hmm. and obviously my nieces and nephews and my godchildren, but you know, I feel it for a lot of people's kids and for a lot of adults, for people older than me, mm-hmm. just like you need me to come in here and listen and love you. And part of the experience of being on people's couches all the time yep. is when people just open their hearts and they just spill all of the ugliness of their lives. Um, And I think, you know, fatherhood kind of wants to say, okay, what can we do? How can I fix this? Mm -hmm. And motherhood just wants to say, let me just love on you. You know, and I may have some advice of a way to pursue prayer or a saint who can be friends with you. Um, But most of the time I have to just sit there and love people and just receive, uh, receive their suffering and receive their brokenness and just be by their side. And I think there's something particularly maternal and particularly feminine mm-hmm. about that reception. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Thanks so much for coming and sharing your morning oh coffee. Gosh, it's been, holy pleasure. smokes. It's been beautiful. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this episode. You can find the show notes for this episode over at oldfashionedgirlblog.com. And that'll have everything that Meg and I mentioned today in this episode, as well as a link to that surrender novena that I talked about in the beginning of the episode, if you'd like to pray that along with me. If you know someone who would like to listen to this episode, could you share it with a friend? And then if you have an iPhone and are an Apple user, could you go over to iTunes and review and rate this podcast? Guys, I love reading through the ratings that you put in this podcast and the reviews help me know what we're doing well here, know what you guys are looking for. And so if you have any thoughts, please share them over on iTunes. I'm really excited to tell you guys also about a new project that I've been working on for almost two years now. It's called Created for Love, Catholic Reflections for the Bride-to-Be. And it's a brand new book coming out with Our Sunday Visitor here in a couple of months. And it's a chance for women who are preparing for marriage to be able to sit and journal and really focus in on their own interior life in this season of preparation for marriage. It's based on what else? The feminine genius. And there are 40 reflections and there are 10 reflections on each four aspects of the feminine genius. So sensitivity, generosity, receptivity, and maternity. So I'm so excited to share that with you. I'll be sharing more with you about it as we get closer to the book release date. But while we're waiting for those physical books to get here and for me to hold them in my hand and show them off, head over to my social media, Chloe.Langer on Instagram and old fashioned girl on Facebook and make sure you're following because I'm going to be giving a few of those copies away and giving more sneak peeks. And then also putting out some reflections that you guys can download for free. If you are an engaged woman, or if you love someone who is engaged and are wanting to send this their way, I'll have a set up so that you can be able to download some of those reflections and just work through them during your own prayer time as a kind of a sneak peek before the book gets here. So thanks so much for listening. I loved, I loved, loved, loved being back to podcasting. It is one of the things that I dearly missed while I was getting closer to baby Maeve during these first couple of months of her life. So I'm so excited to be back. There are so many good podcasts coming down the pipes. I cannot wait to share with you, but until next time, be not afraid. <laughs>